are back in the Football Shed, the weekly podcast for football fans that live in the wrong time zone. My name's John Hewitt. Jeff King is here. Yes. Hello. G'day. <laughs> Jeff, you've got a new headphones and new internet. Got a new internet. I'm like a new man. You're like I've been on time. I'm the phoenix rising from the dog shit that was. New haircut too? <laughs> no, I've lost hair. I've lost hair. <laughs> Goes, um, with, goes, with, the, goes with the new internet. <laughs> yeah. Hello. <laughs> Leaner. Faster. John. Less wind resistance. You sounded very excited then as well. Is there something happening? Or you just you just when, sounded very excitable when you introduced yourself then on the pod. I know oh, why Jeff's excited because he's got be new in internet. Just it's so exciting to talk to you two about football that's not happened stuck in my own room that I live in all day. It's, it's very exciting. <laughs> people! People! Like, my wife did ask me what the fuck we're talking about when I said, oh, I really miss football. And she goes, oh, is there no football on? First thing, I'm like, come on. Yes, there's no football on. Second, she's like, well, what, what do you guys bang on about when you do your podcast every week? Well, that's a very good point. You make a very good point. Talk about old football. Pining yeah. for football. Yeah. <laughs> um, Roger Gibbs, have you uh, bought an exciting drink to have this week? Uh, um, I'm just on some uh, vino tonight, John. I um, well, no I, yeah, I got a bit excited at the weekend and drank, drank quite a lot of beer. Um, I got a bit carried away. I had a double hangover, um, <laughs> which uh, yeah, I feel like is um, I feel like it's acceptable during lockdown. Every day's a hangover in lockdown. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but it means I drank all my beer, so I'm now. Onto the wine supply. So you so I've went got oh, some, uh, too much beer, so I go straight to wine. Yeah, I've got some Tempranello. It's quite nice. Jeff, what have you got? Have you got your uh, Baileys in your fancy cups again? And, uh, blue ribbon today. Blue ribbon. Do you know oh. blue ribbon? Yeah, that's like hipster beer. That's, that's what, exactly um, what I said. That's blue what like ribbon. the cool kids drink. Pabst. Pabst. Oh. It was cheap. It was on deal. Yeah, but it's it's like the cool, cheap beer. It's like yeah. Come on, you can't accuse me of buying a beer to be cool. <laughs> of all of the people, I buy it because it's cheap. Just maybe that's why it's cool. Who knows? Um, I bought. I've got beers tonight, and they're called beer by Garage Project. It just says beer on the label. It's a very. I don't love that one. I think they do fantastic beer. I think that one's a bit average. No, well, that's what I wanted. I wanted like. Fuck you, average John. beer that I was drinking, like carling at a pint in a pub in England. Probably good for your gut, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but every week we start with a question. Your special, your special, <laughs> special <tummy>. gut. <laughs> um, but before we do the question, there's a little bit of admin. Um, if you want to get in contact, ask us a question, tell us we're wrong about something, um, or just tell us something to talk about during these strange times. Um, you can find us on Facebook, just search Football Shed or email us at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. And of course, tell your mates so more people can hear us talk. This week's question, um, because we are in the strange times, is again a bit of a longer one. So it's a team question between the two of you. Can you name the 13 teams in the Football League that are named United? So Premier League and the Championship, League One and League Two. Okay, Manchester United. That is correct. Newcastle, Leeds, Sheffield. Yes. Um, How many have we got? West Ham. Yeah. Need to write them down. So you've Um, got okay. So you've got Man United, West Ham, Newcastle, Sheffield United, Leeds. That's all the Premier League and Championship. Peterborough. Yep. Oh, so this is the whole football league? Yeah. Oxford. Yep. So that's two from League One. There's two more in League One. Uh, Colchester. Correct. They're in League Two. Peterborough? Did you say Peterborough? Yeah. Um, Two more League Ones and three League Twos. Southend. Correct. From League One. Uh, um, Oxford and Cambridge. Cambridge. Yes. Are we down to League Two now? You got one in League One and two in League Two. Um, One's really far north. Oh, Had an amazing end. I, of... I just think of Hull as soon as you say really far north. <laughs> I know this. 
Go on, give us a clue. Give us a clue. Um, the one that's really far north had an amazing end of the day, um, end of season escape when they. Carlo. Yes. <laughs> the other one, Ian Botham played professional games for, which is quite an obscure fact. So I don't know if that's helpful. Um, and the other one has yo-yoed between the championship and League One for the last four or five years. I should know that. Oh, we'd get we'd get them if we sat here all day. Go on, John. Rotherham. Rotherham uh, United. Yeah. And Scunthorpe. Scunthorpe. Oh, Which who was Scunthorpe. the in both them? Scunthorpe. Uh, Scunthorpe. He played for Scunthorpe. Yeah. He played like five games for Scunthorpe as centre back. They have one of the best crests in British football, I think, Scunthorpe United. Wow. What, what, what's their crest? Well, you have to look it up. I'm not going to describe it to you. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's like a giant purple zit on the on the bum of the Queen. Yeah, they're like pur- purple and blue stripes. Is that right? Is there stripes? That's what Scunthorpe wear, yeah. Yeah. Um, whilst Jeff Googles Scunthorpe's... <laughs> That. That's like a fist with like an iron girder in it. Have you, have you seen it? Okay. It's really, it's really, really good. Really solid. Um, but this week we are going to carry on doing our Premier League team reviews. So we've got Burnley, Chelsea, and Crystal Palace this week. Um, if we fit all three in. Um, but before we go on to those teams, um, we'll do a bit of a roundup of any latest COVID nineteen updates from the football league. Is there anyone, anything anyone particularly wants to bring up first? Jeff, it's an iron bar, by the by the way. <laughs> what did I say? Yeah. Girder. <laughs> iron girder. What's the difference, Rog? Um, I'm sure there is a difference. Yeah, there Something is. would move along a girder. Do you know, Scunthorpe also play in um, Claret and Blue. Mm. Do you know why there are so many teams that play in Claret and Blue? No. Because it was an easy colour to make back in the day? Probably. <laughs> I, I, I'm assuming you have an answer for us. No, no I was, I was, there was a question. Oh, right. It's oh, a no, question. No. The, you know, the answer, okay, there we go. Don't know the answer. Um, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll get going this week. So the last three weeks, we've had a good old discussion, um, and it's it's been about Newcastle United. It's been quite political, uh, and obviously nothing's happened yet, which is which is one of those. Um, frustrations because it makes our discussion completely pointless because probably nothing will happen and we've just you know wasted our time um but i did say that there was a their their supporters trust had a a bit of a online meeting and q a um i think rog you know the details better than me about this but one of the things that really struck me this week right so newcastle fans now i'm going to give them some credit here newcastle fans do like to have a whinge about who owns their club right now one of the stats i think was like 98% of the Newcastle fans were in favour of this takeover. 96.7. No, oh, there we go. 96- we, we should just say that this is a, um, that was in a survey published by the Newcastle United Supporters Trust, which has 10,000 members. So it's not a small yeah, okay. That's a, yeah. yeah, it's not just three mates in a room. However, to their, to their credit, lots of the quotes coming out of this forum where people who are genuinely uncomfortable with what's going on like they want money to their football club but they don't you know they don't want to be seen as people who condone the human rights issues in saudi arabia so the general consensus having read a, a bunch of the reports from this is, is that um they're going to make their opinion known that they don't agree with the, um uh the human rights atrocities in saudi arabia so i'm just thinking that they're basically replacing one rich bastard who they're going to complain about with another with rich another bastard who they're going to complain about. You're just a bit more rich. But the difference is that um, uh, MBS, can we call them MBS? Jeff, sorry, sorry, Jeff, before you go on, I have to stop you. Can you please stop swinging from side to side or getting seasick? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry for everyone at home. It's his new internet. He can now, he can now do chair. it without it freezing. Yeah. <laughs> And he's just moving from side <laughs> to side. And we're already sick. Maybe so, we, we now know why his internet's been crashing every week. <laughs> it just couldn't handle the swaying. I needed to run on a hamster wheel to give it electric. Um, anyway, MBS. He is known for giving less of a shit than any other human in, in society. And, you know, which is the reason yeah. why they're, they're human rights atrocities are so bad and why he can just pluck a journalist out of the street and, you know, the guy's, the guy's a cunt. 
Yeah. The guy is not going to give a rat's ass about a bunch of Newcastle fans protesting. And I think he will be quite belligerent about that fact. There is something that if this does go through, that it will be such a slow and intense car crash that won't, like, if we ignore whether this is right or wrong or the morals and principles or what, you know, all of the stuff we've already discussed, actually in practice, this thing is a disaster. Yeah. It's going to oh, yeah. be one hell of a voyeuristic disaster. Yeah, we'll all get to enjoy watching it, but it's going to be gross. Well, I, I had some questions for you guys on this when I read it. Um, and so I, I'll just I'll read a quote from one of the board members of the Newcastle United Supporters Trust, Jeff, just to sort of summarise what you said, which essentially, uh, so this is um, board member Greg Tomlinson. So he said, it's not impossible to be excited about Mike Ashley's departure and still feel concerned about the human rights issues associated with the potential new owners. Those feelings are not mutually exclusive. And then they go on, as you say, to you know, talk about how they plan to hold the, you know, the owners to account. And I, I suppose my question for you on that was going to be, will that make any difference to the owners? Because I sort of feel, I look at a club like United, United don't really have real fans anymore. They haven't for years. A lot of the real fans have been alienated over time by the way that the club's been run, but it doesn't matter because they've got more fans than anybody else through the size of the club and success. And I feel like the, won't these Saudi owners just feel the same? They can pump money in and get new fa- new and better fans? Well, I wouldn't or, say or are Geordies but- different? I wouldn't say United don't have real fans. I think United still have one of the best away supporters ever. Um, but they do the home. They're fans, all sixty-five now, though, John. They, they are no. That's but that's also across the whole Premier League. That's what's happening. Um, but the home stadium is full of tourists. Mm. Um, Newcastle, the new owners won't care what the fans think. They don't care. The fans also, when Newcastle get in the Champions League and are pushing for honours and winning things, won't care that where the money came from. So it, it it just won't change anything. No one will care. I give them a bit more credit. I give them a bit more credit than this. Like I, th- I think it's very easy, and we've probably been guilty of it, to say that you know, the fans are just going to go, oh, well, how big is your checkbook? Right, we don't give a shit. I think that Newcastle, of all of the fans in the Premier League, Newcastle United have, have actually shown themselves as people who do care, who are willing to protest, who are willing to not go to games out of principle, who, who are willing to kind of stake their their love for the club over whoever this might this owner might be. You, you know, they're, they're willing to sacrifice for the sake of the the spirit of their club. And I think if they feel like this is ripping it away, or they're being seen to be condoning it, like they're, they're as I said last week, they are a passive member in this. Newcastle United, the football club, are, are a, a passive yeah. entity in this takeover. It, it could be anyone. It just happens they're a club. It's like the sale. It's a single club city that's, that's been well run, so it makes good financial sense. Um, and I don't think those fans are going to want to be seen to be just condoning it for the sake of it, for the money. Um, can, I, can I just... The BBC... Um, this, is, this is how little actual news there is in the footballing world at the moment. Yeah, go on. Right? So... You, you've obviously seen it escalate over the last few weeks about all of these players at Newcastle United are going to buy on Newcastle's hot list, on their hit list, right? You normally expect better from the BBC. Or at least I usually expect better from the BBC. I feel like they're a news out there. Like they, they deliver news. It might be a bit biased sometimes, but it's news. The BBC... Tweeted, <laughs> Tory mouthpiece. You can call it what you like. Tory mouthpiece. You can call it what you like, Rog. Um... BBC tweeted a possible lineup. Newcastle had been linked to a lot of players in the papers. This is how they could line up next season. Explanation mark. Up front, Barini and Cavani in the hole. Coutinho, Naby Faker. They did a whole team. Vidal, Van der Beek, <laughs> all in the midfield. Kubali, Kubali, and you say, and you say his uh, name. Yeah, the centre back, Kubali, Lascelles, Yedlin on the right, he's and ninety-seven million the on his own. They've just like delivered a billion dollars worth of team. The BBC have put this out and said, "Oh, this is how Newcastle United." The takeover has even happened. Jeff, you yet. did read it though. You clicked on it. Oh, you read I, it. I saved it for the shed. I was like, "This is fucking crazy." Um, let's move off Newcastle because I feel like we've given Newcastle too much airtime in the last three weeks. Um, I did want to raise uh, something that the PFA chief, Gordon Taylor, said about um, making halves of football shorter. 
piss off Gordon Taylor, retire, die. Well, but yeah, but, yeah. I mean Gordon so, Taylor. Sorry. Gordon Taylor's a, a knob, obviously, and I think. But does do we give it less credence as a um, as an argument because it's Gordon Taylor? Yes, I I, I don't mind the idea. Because what, what are they going to do about um, you? You brought this up a couple of weeks ago, John and Jeff. You've been talking about it as well in terms of one of the reasons why all this talk about restarting the season is futile because it's not going to happen. But yeah. training, like you know, when when are these players going to get fit? So yeah. perhaps perhaps there is some merit in reducing the game time. So but, yeah. okay, okay, what's the point? So, so if if the remaining twelve games or the remaining eleven games of your your team season only have forty minute halves and are played in neutral stadiums, and you might have half of your first team unwilling to play because they think that it's it's dangerous and that's allowed according to the PFA, what's the point? What are we doing? Well, in that scenario, in that scenario, there's no point. But I suppose I think you have to look at it in isolation. Of if they do decide to do it, then maybe that argument on its own has some merit. But I agree with you. I think that I think all of this talk is just like it's fluff on top. And when you when you scrape it away, you realise that actually there's nothing there, and the season's not going to restart. It's gross <laughs> because the only reason why we're, we're putting these think tanks together and Gordon Taylor's coming out with all these it's all money. And, yeah. and uh, like we've seen this whole coronavirus, this whole coronavirus thing we do keep talking about. <laughs> this, what we've done is we've seen the, the the mask taken off a whole heap of stuff in our society. And that is global. You know, the difference between political systems, whether it's socialist or capitalist or whatever, we, you know, we've basically seen exposed and laid bare. You know, um, essentially, as you said last week, Roger, we've all kind of leaned towards the scientists. Great. Perhaps we should have leaned towards the scientists, not the people with more, more charisma in the first place, and we wouldn't be in this mess. But there are things in football that the mask has been taken off. I think the fact that we're even considering some of the options that they're putting forward is such a disgusting um, admission that actually the money is the most important thing above all else, above sporting integrity, above the health of the players, above the health of the fans. None of that matters, and we are willing to change the game completely as long as we can play 11 games so we don't lose money. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Um, and it's so gross, in fact, I reckon we shouldn't talk about coronavirus anymore today. Let's move on to the Premier League team reviews. Can I just say that between last week and this week, I think Everton have gone down a place? <laughs> in the league? <laughs> I thought Everton were 11th, and then today I'm looking at the table at 12th. How did we go down? Average oh, points, Jeff. I think you were deducted points for dodgy money dealing. Being Everton. Um, <laughs> did you, you did see, though, that the Premier League have been listening to us as well in that they're, they're buying up all the testing machines. Yes, Rod, your genius idea of <laughs> testing people is coming to fruition. Yeah, I read some... I like a, a, few, um, a few interviews with players this week. And it's funny that players kind of toe, toe, sorry, John, I'm going to bang on about football. Uh, sorry, the um, players kind of toe the line and use their their club stance and, and spokespeople. But a few players have been coming out and kind of giving their opinion on what it's like at the moment and what their feelings are. And Sergio Aguero gave a really honest interview. He says that he talks to other players who are scared because they're mm. they're scared to things are pretty fucked in the UK right now. And they're scared to leave their houses. They're scared to go to big groups. Um, and Is he all... back in Argentina? Sorry. No, he's in the UK with his wife. But, uh, and the, he said that he talks to a lot of players and a lot of other players are scared to come back. So if a club forces them to come back, so we pay your wages, we're not going to pay you if you don't come back and play. What happens if a club forces a player and the player gets sick? Like yeah. you're, you are facing a lawsuit like nothing else because you. What happens if they employer, die, Jeff? Well, <laughs> like that's. <laughs> I mean, that's your worst case scenario. Is that and then yeah, lawyers would be queuing up for that one. It's like a, it's I don't a know. Civil it's suit. it's um, another. It's another reason why I think, when all said and done, there's a fair bit of water that has to go under. Yeah, but even if you're not a player, even if you're just a physio, it's still corporate manslaughter. 
and and that is a massive problem. Then the only way you can avoid that happening is to have players and staff sign waivers saying, if you force me to go back to work and I get, just like they're trying to do in the United States. Is that what's happened way. in Germany? Because I saw three German players got sick, I think, for Hanover. Yeah, Maybe they, uh, the German teams have gone yeah, back for, training. And, yeah, mean, three of them happened? got sick. Yeah. Um, and then they, well, they've been isolated and everyone else in the team has been tested and they said, no, you're right, carry on. So it's basically my idea from last week. But then what's the integrity of Hanover's team? They just lost three players. Yeah. You know, and, and that's that's disgraceful anyway. Well, but I guess yeah, we'll, so the, we'll just have to watch it all unfold. But I agree with you, Jeff. I just... so the corporate manslaughter thing is something that we're not talking about quite a lot. But if a player did, did, get te- did test positive, that would be the end of it anyway. Because every other player goes, well, I refuse to do this because my employer is putting me somewhere that's unsafe. Yeah. And then you can't do that. It's not right. Let's move on to the Premier League team reviews. Um, so this week's teams are Burnley, Chelsea and Crystal Palace. Very exciting this week. I'm not sure if it's the most exciting lineup, but I'm sure we can make it exciting. <laughs> well, Chelsea is a pleasure to talk about. But let's start on Burnley, who uh, at the close of the season was sat in 10th, only four points off Europe um, and a fifth place spot. Um, Doing what Burnley do. Well, they they play awful football, don't they? We can kind of all agree that Burnley's football is not fun to watch. It's not pretty. They have Chris Wood, who's a lump up front. They play Ashley Barnes off him, who's a lump with slightly more skills. Um, and, and take not- great in swinging corners. Great in swinging far post corners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of all they do. Uh they've got um, Dwight McNeil. Who I yes. think will go. I think he's their little spark. He's their something a little bit more than just being organised. You know, all, all the all the things that you immediately think of with a Sean Dyche team. Dwight McNeil is the one player that probably doesn't quite um, fit with that. Yeah. Um, and I think he'll probably go. I was going to say, he doesn't yeah. so sell him <laughs> and sign. Him. Well, this year, do you, do you remember, we were seeing a bit of a change in Dyche himself. If you, if you kind of track back to the season, we were seeing that um, it wasn't the players that were switching off, it was Dyche. But do, do, you, do you remember seeing this? We, we were actually watching Sean Dyche get a bit sick of being Sean Dyche. You know, oh, yeah, and, and he was he was kind of switching off from his own tactics. He was he was relentless with them, and they are just as pragmatic and working just as well. He is sitting in tenth. That is what you expect. Every now and then you'll have a good run and that's why they made Europe last year. Every now and then they'll have a bad run and they'll finish in 16th and 17th and they'll still stay up because that's Sean Dyche. And it felt a little bit this year like he was a bit ha- haggard. Like he just he was a bit sick of himself. And when you hear him talk, you hear him make the excuses and hear him explain the tactics. He was just a bit sick of his own, his own framework. And I actually thought that he was going to go one way or the other. Either he was going to take the credit he has in the bank and get another job because he's got a lot of credit because it's one of those typical stories of, oh, Sean Dyche, he should, he should get a bigger job. Look what he's done with Burnley. <laughs> it's, you know, we know that he's incredibly limited. Burnley is a reflection of Sean Dyche. He's been there so long. Burnley is Sean Dyche. So if you like you think, watching do, Burnley... Do you think he's actually any good? I don't think he's any good. I think, I think he's a motivator... Um, he annoys the crap out of me. I think he's got this real smugness about him. Oh, Johnny, he is... Well, I should just jump in, though, to say that you are somewhat irrational sometimes with your um, passionate dislike of certain people. And Sean Dyche is certainly in that club. Yes, no, that is completely fair. I'll take that on board, Rog. <laughs> now continue. But, <laughs> but I, I, as soon as you remove Sean Dyche from Burnley, I don't think he can do anything at a bigger club if you gave him the Everton job when Angelotti came in or you gave him the Wolves job if it came available or Newcastle where they get this money takeover and they need someone to take them on Sean Dyche is not the man the reason he's not the man is because he's not a very good coach he has just built a team that is can work hard can do well at set pieces and do two or three things well and that's it and but then I why isn't everyone true. doing it, John? I, 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 I see what you're saying, and it, you know, there, it is limited, but I think you have to give him a significant amount of credit for keeping Burnley where they've been for a long period of time with no budget 
whatsoever. Like if it was that easy, then there would be a whole heap of teams doing it's, it. It's not it's, easy. It's, it's draining and it's hard. It takes hard work. But, you know, there are, there are a few instances in football where you see the symbiotic relationship between a manager and a club. And the club is the direct reflection of everything the manager has to offer. And the manager is that club. And Burnley and Sean Dyche, they are connected. Like he's yeah. been there long enough and he is he has created and shaped that team to be him. So yes, yes, he's good at that. Put him in another club and you're going to get Burnley. We saw that when David Moyes went to Manchester United. You got Everton. Yeah. Like, and, but, you know, there are a few other examples. We can say when Arsene Wenger was at Arsenal, Arsenal were Arsene Wenger. His yeah. struggles would he couldn't buy players that would change the way he managed a side because well, he, he only bought players that would work within that side. You, you see others, you look at Bournemouth. Well, but I think you could Bournemouth. say that Arsenal changed within Wenger's time period, but that was only because Wenger was there for long enough that he could slowly adapt. And it was the same with Fergie at United. There's subtle changes, but that still doesn't change yeah. what you what and you're saying, Jeff. And that's I keeping I, up with football, you know. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think I think but and I think you could go both ways. So I I mean I actually think though credit to Dyche perhaps. I think if you compared the two, I think that Dyche would be more likely to have success if he went somewhere else than Burnley to do okay if Dyche left Burnley. I think if you suddenly bring someone mm. in who's completely new and you give them the same, say, here you go, have zero resources again, keep us in the Premier League, that's a very tough ask. Yeah, but it, to change a club like Burnley into something else, you, if you're not sure Dyson, and you walk in, you have to completely change that club. And it takes more than a season to do that, which means that you will suffer in the interim. And because of that, it'll probably change and job can change and change and change. Chop, but Sean Dyche can go to another club. He can spend six months training his players to do his function. And actually, players can be told to do something and they do it. That's why they're very good at their jobs. But Burnley have played 29 games uh, this season, scored 34 goals. Yeah, minus six goal oh, difference. God. It's a bit depressing. It's so crap, considering you're 10th in the league um, and your top scorer is Chris Wood. Um, uh, what if, what are, you, are Burnley fans happy? Do you think? I think they probably are. If you're a Burnley fan, you know they they've been enjoying the ride now for uh, you know for several seasons. I suppose at what point do you go from just being happy at being there to being like I'm a bit bored with the no, you're, where, you're, where does that change? Burnley, Burnley fans are institutionalised. They think that they've got it good because they're told they've got it good. It's like former fans think that they've got the best manager in the league outside the top six. You, you are completely, the world's been put over your eyes for long enough and you hear pundits and ex-footballers and everyone of, a, of authority match of the day say, oh, it's like what he's doing out of Burnley, it's great, oh, Burnley should be proud they've got him, what would they be without him? You're institutionalised to believe that this is the man for you because where would your club be without them? Whereas whereas actually, you know, you, you might be watching more entertaining football, you might win more games and lose more games. Might be Sheffield United. Yeah, I think Burnley fan. If you're a Burnley fan, I think you would be happy with where you are. Where you are, what would annoy me is there's no evolving. Like Sean Dyche has come in, and yes, you can play a certain way, and you can find a way to play in the Premier League. And let's not forget they got to, into Europe, didn't they? They got into Europe a couple of years ago, and that kind of knocked them a lot a bit wayward for a little while. They got that sorted. Um, so that's amazing, but. Wouldn't you want to have seen as a fan of Burnley, oh, we've got into Europe. Maybe not spend lots of money, but maybe spend money on a slightly different player. Not, oh, we'll bring in Phil Bardsley on a free. Um, yeah. And we'll bring well, in... Eric Peters has been one of their best players this year. Yeah, from... Eric Peters. Sorry, from Stoke for not much. Or Joe Hart. You, um... want, you want to see a David Ginola, don't you? Just yeah. just in case. Look at Stephen DePaul. Didn't DePaul go to Burnley? Yes, yeah. And, th- and that yeah. was really exciting. And then he just died. Yeah. But by, yeah, maybe by someone who's maybe, yeah, on the way out of their Premier League time or just a young guy who's a bit special and might try something mm. out just to shake it up. And he but never you know, does that. I know it because I was institutionalised to David Moyes. I had, what, 10 years, 11 years of David Moyes to the point where I just thought it couldn't get any better. Like, life could not be better. How do you not mm. spend money for three years in a row and still finish fifth. Isn't it this most amazing thing? And then after that, you get someone like Martinez. Like, holy shit, this is what it was like to enjoy football again. Yes, the downs are horrendous, but the ups are amazing. 
and that middle of the road, like Sean Dyche is like being in isolation in a three bedroom, one up, one down house, getting paid a dollar. It's fine, <laughs> but it, it, it's but you're not going anywhere. It speaks to the your point, John, about why not try something different. I think speaks to what Jeff's saying as well in terms of the the club and the manager being so linked that it's very hard to change things, even if it's only a very subtle change yeah. like that, which I think is how that would be how Burnley progress to the next, um, yeah. you know, although having said that they did sign Josh Brownhill from Bristol city in January, who was the youngest captain in the championship. He was 24, but was a younger player, but he hasn't even played a game. He's barely played. He's played like 10 minutes of football since they signed and him. And he, he's a but, good ball player, isn't he? He's like someone who can pass yeah, it. Is. is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he'll, he'll certainly get up and down as well. Like he's a, um, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a work hard player, but yeah. he has got a bit of quality, but yeah. I just sort of feel like even asking Dyche to change that little bit is harder because Burnley are so linked to Sean Dyche. Whereas I think if they were, what well, do you want to say? Uh, a more well-run club. I think, I don't know if that's necessarily the right thing to say, but if they had more clout with Dyche perhaps and weren't so beholden to him, then they might be more willing to sort of, you know, have a director of football that might push that a bit or, or might push Dyche to do that a yeah. bit. I, I, but I just don't think it's going to happen. And I think that the, um, the risk for Burnley is I think that this model and the way they're playing does have a, a finite um, yeah, yeah. time span. Yeah. You can't keep doing this and it be successful forever, but they probably this is, this can. They the go down Alex and then come McLe- back up again. It's the same as Alex McLeish at uh, Aston Villa. Yeah. Like, this, is, this is where Stoke or whatever. Yeah, it's where they're at. And, and like before, like Burnley fans go nuts at us. Like, yes, I get it. They are four points off Sheffield United. They're um, two points off Spurs, having played the same amount of games. I get that. That's a good season. But my point is, it doesn't matter if it's a good season or a bad season. For them, a good season is seventh, but a bad season is 17th. They would have played the same way either way. And that's as good or as bad as it's going to get. So it just doesn't matter. You can, you can kid yourself with the two points behind Spurs stat and think that everything's fine, but that means you are institutionalised. Um, Roger's just walking away. I think he's had enough. <laughs> um, I just want to bring up a couple of players. Um, do you think Nick Pope is any good? Well, he's tall, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think he's tall. You're tall, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, doesn't right. mean you should play in goal for England. Definitely doesn't. Um I, uh, you know, it's, I struggle with this, John, because I know your opinion yeah. and I, I hate to just agree with it, but I do think that playing for Burnley makes you look better. Apart from Well, I, I think and I think it's a carry on from what we're talking about, Sean Dyche, is that he plays in such a way that certain players always look good under him. So a centre-back who plays for Burnley, so Michael Keane, for example, was at Burnley before he went to Everton, looked really good. Um, and then Ben Mee and James Tarkowski have looked really good as centre-backs. Um, and I just don't think they're actually very good players. I think they play in a formation that suits them and makes them look good. And that's where my problem comes with the goalkeepers that play for Burnley, is that suddenly we think Tom Heaton's a world-beater. He's not. He's just a distinctly average goalkeeper. He's championship at best, OK, Premier League maybe. Um, and Nick Pope's exactly the same. You can play in a team that is built to protect you and play well. And I just think he's one of the most overrated players in the league. And it annoys me that no one sees it. Nope. I'll, I'll pay that, John. I'll pay it. Okay. Um, and I have one player, though, that I do think is really underrated that plays for Burnley. And that's Jack Cork. Okay. Um, now, I don't know if anyone watches Jack Cork play much, but he plays in the centre of the park. He runs around a lot, um, which is why he does well at Burnley. But he is a brilliant passer of the ball and it's massively underrated. He's played for England once. Um, I thought it was surprising that Southampton let him go, yeah. actually, because I, I agree with you. I think he's got a bit about him. And when I saw him play for Southampton, you could see that. Yeah, I think if he had gone to a... Football didn't he start? Well, at, where did he start? Did he start at Liverpool? Or maybe it was Sunderland? No, he was... Um, I can't start. remember. But he was at a big club. He was at a big club, wasn't he? Yeah. 
Um, but I think if he had gone to a football playing team, a Wolves or an Everton or whatever that actually play football, everyone would be raving about him. But because he plays in a team that doesn't play football, no one gives a shit. Um, our last Burnley question. How Chelsea. do they come out Chelsea. of the other side? Chelsea this time, yeah. Chelsea. Yeah. How do Burnley come out the other side of COVID COVID nineteen looking? Like their financial <laughs> scenario is a bit funny. Um, because they rely so much on the TV money, but they don't have any debt. Yeah, they, they are. I mean, they were the first club to have their chairman come out and say, we cannot survive this. If there is no more football played this year, the money we lose on just gate receipts is enough to, to put the nail in our coffin, let alone if we have to pay back any kind of TV money. They are in a really, really bad place. Um, they're a well-run football club, but... I say that because they don't lose money. You know, yeah. they, that doesn't mean they're a well-run business. A well-run business makes profit and sits on cash flow. Burnley have no cash flow. They just don't have debts. Don't have debts is good, but they don't have rich benefactor. They are in a really, really, really bad way. And if I was going to put money on the first Premier League club to, to get themselves into massive strife, and when I say massive strife, I mean go under, I think yeah. Burnley would be front of, front of that queue. Wow. Exciting times for Burnley. Um, let's move on. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. There's Burnley fans out there. I hope you're having a great time listening to us talk about Burnley. Luckily, there aren't that many of you, so you can't no, believe exactly. that. Speaking um, of not, not having a rich benefactor. Chelsea. They do have a rich benefactor. Um, let's move on to Chelsea. So Chelsea are sat in fourth at the moment in the league. Um and Frank Lampard's been in charge since the start of the year because they had a transfer ban. So they thought they'd bring in Frank and play a bunch of young players. Um, they've done well so far. Would you say they've done well so far? Yeah, I, we've talked a lot about Chelsea this year, I feel like, because we were suddenly interested them in a game. It was like it was a perfect storm that perhaps made us interested in terms of the transfer ban and, and what have you. But... Um, I think we said that they, you know, before the start of the year, there'd be some ups and downs, um, which there have been because they can't, um, you know, they obviously couldn't sign players and they're playing a lot of young players that are then trying to get used to a system. It's, there's going to be less consistency, but I think on the whole, um, they've they've done pretty well, and I think if they can finish the season where they are now, they'd be, they would have absolutely taken that at the start of the year. Well, and they play like people like Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, Tamori, Reese James, Gilmore, Hudson O'Doy. Like there's a list of seven or eight really good young English based players that are coming through. That's the core of the team for the next 10 years. If they get it right, there's nothing really stopping Chelsea from one being challengers for the league and two, just having a really good team. And Loftus Cheek's been injured for a lot of the year, but Loftus obviously he, he was sort of the front of that group before. Uh, Pulisic as well is, you know, still very young. Like yeah. I, 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 um, I agree. I mean, uh, Reese James has been the one for me that's particularly stood out. I think he's, um, um, like I'd have him in my England squad at the moment. I think he's he's been. Been, we should play six right backs for England, I think. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah, I I've enjoyed watching Chelsea again. It's been odd because um, I I did like them. They were a bit exotic when I think of you know uh, you know sort of going back the Premier League years. Yeah, and, yeah, they yeah. were the first to sort Mario of Mario Melchior, Frank Dan Petrescu. You know, they, it was. Um, and then they obviously had the Abramovich money come in. Um, but then there was definitely a spell where I think we all, um, if not fell out of love with Chelsea, where we went off them quite a lot. Um, yeah. And perhaps a lot of that was to do with a, a certain manager. Um, but I sort of feel like, you know, in this scenario, I quite like Sarri as well. I feel like that was a bit, um, just the whole scenario was a bit unfortunate for him last year. But um, I think, I, I'm still not completely sold on Frank. Jeff, you can probably give us your thoughts on Mr. Lampard because I know you're not completely sold on him either. But I do, I do think that they'd be very happy with 
where they're at. Yeah, I think top, they, top four would have been there. I think they would have taken eighth this year, to be honest. I yeah. think top four is the maximum that they were aiming at. Well, I predicted one of them or Man United to finish in the bottom half of the league. And I was quite confident that one of them would. And I was quite confident it would have been Chelsea. Because um, I just didn't think Frank Lampard would do it. And I don't think you could chuck that many young players into the team at the same time and go, Oh, yeah, that works. Um, I went to see Chelsea play at Stamford Bridge last season when Sarri was there. And the atmosphere was horrible. It was gross to be there. It was just everyone was just miserable. No one really cared. And then Hazard was on the bench that day. He came on and everyone went, yay, Hazard. And he scored a goal or two and everyone went, oh, we're good again. Um, But it was just no fun in it. And you can see that there is a fun back in it for Chelsea and I'm not the biggest fan of their fans um generally they haven't got the best track record um but there is a good atmosphere in Stamford Bridge they're enjoying it they're playing good football and there's a big core of young players so I kind of I hate Chelsea fundamentally but I kind of want them to do well I I, I feel torn the same (laughs) I've just sat here and I've listened to you two and I'm just disgusted like I'm (laughs) I'm quite a positive guy, right? I, I like to eat watermelon and go to the cinema and all of these happy things in life. But I'm going to just be a bit negative here. I, it is so fucking lucky what's gone on at Chelsea this season. It really is. Frank Lampard did not train these this youth team that he's put out. He didn't train. Yes, a great. He had he had Mason Mountain at, um, at Derby County. Um, this team was brought up by the by the Chelsea. They were all grown up in Chelsea. The youth players for Chelsea. They all know each other through Chelsea, which we know. But then when the, you follow the, I'm on one, John. Wait, the, wait but they were John. trained by the youth <laughs> Chelsea team, who was managed by Jody Morris, who then went with Frank Lampard to Derby, and now is Frank Lampard's assistant at Chelsea. So, so they, why doesn't Jody Morris have the job? So there is some so, so Jody Morris trained them. Jody, Jody, Jody Morris trained them and coached them and, and then went to Derby and said to Frank, oh, I'll tell you what, get this one, this one's good, get that one, that one's good. And then you just pick whichever eleven you can remember the yep. names of. And and then so now Jody Morris is back at Chelsea telling Frank Lampard, I'll tell you what, I've got six of them. Six of them. They're fucking brilliant. Put them all on. The club can't sign any players. You don't know what you're doing. Just listen to me. And then no, Frank, but he's the coach, like, Jeff. It's a different job. He's the coach. I, I just think that it is the most lucky situation. Don't get me wrong, I'm not telling you whether I enjoy or not. But <laughs> when you say, are they having a good season? It is like Moses has parted the seas <laughs> and they just strolled right through oozing luck because their manager has no clue, in my opinion. I think Frank Lampard is really bad at his job. I think he's reactionary. He doesn't have a plan B. And why would he have a plan B? It's his second year in the job. He should be some of the assistant manager for the next decade. If, if there was any credibility in football or any respect in the in the hierarchy of football, he should not be the manager of Chelsea. It just shouldn't be happening. But we, but we see this all the time, Jeff. There's a there's a, there's a misconception that you know uh, famous and well good players, not even good famous players, make good managers. But usually, usually they go somewhere first. I don't mean go to Derby for a year. I mean, usually they 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 you know they go to the lower leagues or they they go they be they're someone's assistant. Thierry Henry right now is Martinez's assist, assistant of Belgium, right? He's doing his apprenticeship. Yeah, but he also he's got exactly the right. he got the job at Monaco though with no no managerial experience yeah, and whatsoever. He was crap at it because he had no experience. Like it's and now I think actually, pardon me, he's no longer Martinez's assistant. I think he's managing in Montreal in in the MLS. Yeah. I think. Um, or Toronto, I can't remember. Um, so what I'm saying is Frank Lampard shouldn't be in that job. I'm saying the crop of young players that have come up there, because I saw, are phenomenal. Great to watch. Thoroughly enjoy it. There is no way they would have got a game if it wasn't for a transfer ban. There's no way Lampard would have got the job if it wasn't for a transfer ban. It was the best that you could get with only a year's worth of experience playing a bunch of players that he didn't train or coach that were recommended for him. And what we've got is this amazing George's marvellous medicine of fucking awesome <laughs> that you can enjoy. And little Billy Gilmore comes up nowhere and he's the best player in the world I've ever seen. You're he like, is how amazing. Many, how many more have you got in there? Has, is, has Abramovich stopped caring completely? Like, is he yeah. going to continue to make big money signings or does he just no. not care anymore? I think I think they'll make 
signings that are a decent size, but they won't be the outlay of like, let's spend 400 million this summer or whatever. I think they'll buy one or two here and there. Um, I, I mean, their it, model works in terms of making them money, doesn't it? Buying all these yeah. young players and then being able to sell them on at a significant profit. And so. they're doing right now, they're raking it in because they've just suddenly got seven or eight players that they could all sell for 100 mil each, really. Yeah, and plus their loan army, which, oh. is, which is massive. Brilliant. Um, well, that was kind of my next question then. So how do Chelsea do the next bit? Because Chelsea are sat fourth. So say they get Champions League next year or wherever they finish, they're probably going to get into Europe, Europa League at least. What does Frank Lampard do? He's obviously going to lo- not going to lose the job. You've brought all these young players through. Do you go out and buy a Bemiang or Dries Mertens, as they're talking about? Or do you just go, you know what, not these guys and maybe add one or two extra in the side of James Madison or someone that they might like um, Ben Chilwell from Leicester. There's been talks. They need a left back. Do you add one or two like that? Or do you just go big Uber player? I think Frank Lampard will probably lose his job next year. Cause he's <laughs> really? not, cause he's not very good. They'll spend some money and then it won't go as well. And they'll probably be in a similar position. They are now. And, um, I don't think Abramovich has ever been one to um, like, you know, hold off on the magic button mm. as they fall through the trapdoor. I just, um, yeah, I, I, I think loyalty to Frank and you know the fact he's a Chelsea icon will only go so far. And it's well, net, it's kind of net improvement, right? At the moment, he is net positive because he spent no money and his side's doing great. Yeah, it was a, this spent, season was a write-off, I think. Yeah, so if yeah. he spent a lot of money and his side's doing okay, he's at net negative. I think as soon as you're net negative at Chelsea, you're, you're kicked out the door. Even if you've won the double the year before, you can get kicked out the door by October. And, and that, that's happened. But it's an interesting question you posed, John, because, I mean, so say we look, Liverpool and Man City are clearly, um, you know, the top two. Mm. And I think we'd probably say that Liverpool are, are clearly the best team this year, but Man City probably don't have to do that much to be really challenging them. I don't think Liverpool can sustainably play the way they've been playing this year. What do Chelsea have to do to yeah. get up to that level? You know, say there was, I saw talk of um, Sancho, um, yeah. someone, you know, so it, it, if they buy someone of that ilk, does that put them up into that next level? I don't know if it does because they had Hazard. I think, no, I think if they get it right, I think if you chuck Hazard in this bunch of young players right now, suddenly you've got a really, really, really strong team. Like Hazard probably sat there going, I should have stayed there. Um, But they've got people like Giroud, Pedro, Willian, who are coming to the end of their careers as Puerto They'll all go, I think. This Um, Emerson, Marcus Alonso. So there's four or five that probably need to go. Um, and probably the keeper because he's not turned out to be as good as they hoped. Um, and they need to bring in four or five players, not all in one go, but steadily over the next two years, replace those. If they replace those with yeah, hazard level players, they've got a team that can push on to the Liverpool Man Cities. If they get that wrong of those next four or five players that they sign, they can just muck it all up and Frank will be fired by the end of next season and it all goes wrong. So I think And are you taking opportunity from these youngsters that we're staying are doing really well by getting opportunity? Like it's hard to know how to um but yeah I think if I think go the route of a smaller number of very, very high caliber players. Yeah. I think we we saw with Liverpool they bought the best goalie in the world, they bought the best centre back in the world and suddenly their team went from fourth to first. So would you, if you were that player, would you go to Chelsea? Would Would you rather go to Chelsea or United? I'd rather go to Chelsea right now than Man United. If you were Sancho, you'd rather go to Chelsea than United. Yes, probably because it's London as much as anything, and I London mean, I know and... it's, it has that has that a bit more glamour than. Yeah, if I was Sancho, I'd just go to Real Madrid and go. Yeah, look at me, I'm easy. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, apart from you know. Man United are only three points behind Chelsea this year and United have been woeful. So we forget that Chelsea have had some very, very poor results. Yes, they're in the top four, but actually their, their points over the 48 after 29 games isn't actually that impressive. If there's a it's not. And, I, and, and I agree right. with you, Jeff, about you, you made the comment of Moses Pye in the 
Red Sea, but I do. Yeah. There was a moment where f- f- they had a really sticky patch, and you thought it was about to turn around, and um, you know they were suddenly going the other way, and then they they sort of steadied and they won a, won a few games. And I do give Lampard a bit of credit there because I thought that was where it was all going to go a bit wrong, and they were going to finish. I mean, they could still finish eighth, though. I suppose it's only seven points in it, but I. I, I kind of think where we expected them to be at, they're around that eighth to fourth. I don't they're, think they'll finish. I, I don't think expected them to be. And and I, I must say, I must put a, I must punctuate it with. I thoroughly enjoyed watching them play football. Oh, if, that, if that's what football is about, then I've had a great time watching Chelsea this year. And yeah. I can't remember the last time I uttered that sentence. Um, let's move on to side stories. We're going to put Crystal Palace into next week because of uh, time constraints. So Crystal Palace will join Everton in what will possibly be a Jeff Marathon on Everton next week. <laughs> Everyone get prepared for that. Um, does anyone have any side stories? Rod, you've got something about the championship, I think. Yeah, I've got a couple. I thought I'd do a, a championship update um, with Excellent. a bit of uh, a blast from the past too. Uh, this weekend would be the final day of the championship season if we would have continued the league, um, which is obviously always a dramatic day because there's usually a lot that's being decided. But with that in mind, I don't know if you guys saw, but the University of Reading did their predictions on on the final table. Oh, yeah. Um, and so they win the league. They have these, uh, no, but it, you know, they have these supercomputers and they do, it's it's very sophisticated. They take yeah, you know, okay. the last hundred results of the team against all the various components and then they run it 10,000 times in this simulator to essentially come up with the probability of teams finishing positions. Anyway, it wasn't that exciting and nothing that much changed. So the teams <laughs> are currently uh, in the you know promotion places largely stayed where they were and the um, teams that came up from League One last year are going straight back down. Um, it's obviously a deeply flawed model because Bristol City miss out on the um, oh, definitely on facts. The playoffs. But I was just reading it and it made me... Um, I just look at it and I thought, well, on the last day and what... I went down a bit of a rabbit hole of what are some of the best last days... And I, I was reading something on the 2012-2013 championship season. Yeah. So on the final day, uh, Peterborough, the posh, posh. One of the uh, Uniteds of all One of the United. Um, were in the bottom three. And they'd been there for most of the year. But they'd been on a great run. They'd only lost one game in 12 um, and it was coming up to about uh, like five minutes to go. Um, and they were, sorry, nine minutes to go. They were leading Crystal Palace, who were going to the playoffs, 2-1. So they they essentially had to win on the final day. Um, and then, you know, that, that was doing their bit. And yeah. there was results that could go their other way and they might still be able to stay up. If they won, they could do it. Anyway, so they're winning um, with nine minutes left and it looked like they were going to leapfrog. So Millwall were also uh, fighting for it. They were losing at Derby and Huddersfield who were losing to um, to Barnsley. Um, and then like the perfect storm happened in the last nine minutes. Uh, Huddersfield and Palace both scored. And so, all of a sudden, they were right on the knife edge of whether they were going to stay up or not. And then the 89th minute, Jedinak scored for for Palace, which then meant that Peterborough went down. So, it literally, in the last minute, the whole season changed. And they went down with 54 points, which is the highest ever points tally in championship history. Okay, you into Europe to to, to go down with, (laughs) and they went down, and they went down in the last um, minute. So I just, I mean, yeah, I just, you know, it's just, um, I suppose I was just thinking about it because it's always a really exciting day. Because I think, I mean, Premier League's amazing, but obviously there's so much riding on the football league, Um, and a lot of these stories that you come back to, I think, over history often relate to relegation and that was almost making me think about it because I think with coronavirus and all these decisions that have been made about the league I think the biggest decisions are actually gonna and again 
largely because it's money, but they're going to relate to what happens at the bottom of the league. Yeah, um, and what happens to the clubs? And, do they and get what, parachute payments and, and who yeah, goes Yeah, exactly. And, and but I just thought, gee, you know, that's going to be a kick in the teeth. But imagine getting fifty-four points. And the other uh, very quick side story and anecdote. Did yeah. you guys know that Ferguson and Wenger are now mates? Yeah, 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 buddies. They all they, I, like, I had hang no out. idea until I heard that this week. Yeah, they just like hang out and have glasses of wine together and chat about the good old days when they hated each other. Yeah, and wow. when there's like an event, they often sit together and have their meal. But do you know also know the story of what brought them together? Jose Mourinho. A mutual hatred of Jose Mourinho. Really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just think that's so good. Well, Fergie would always only ever hate the people that were his closest challenger. He'd always put the most pressure on them. As soon as Arsenal weren't a challenger, he just changed his tone completely. And also, because Jose Mourinho was a prick to Wenger, they just went, yeah, we hate this guy. So they kind of became buddies. Interesting. That's really good. Never Um, underestimate a shared hatred to build bridges. Yeah, always. Um, I've only got uh, one side story this week, which is, um, so you know, I'm sorry it's Everton, it's just pop up it's Everton, but you, have you, you know that Everton have cancelled their Spurs shirt sponsor with Sport Pezza, right? the, the yes. Kenyan gambling firm that are yeah. you know, fraught with corruption. Um, have you heard who is in talks to be Everton's new Spurs shirt sponsor? Angry Birds? No, not Angry Birds. Soccer? No, I don't think there has ever been a cooler shirt sponsor than this. Oh, wow. Beyonce? No, it's a company called SwissX. Do you know who SwissX are? The crap FedEx? They are Mike Tyson's cannabis company. (laughs) Convicted racist cannabis company. They are literally... Mike Tyson owns... uh, uh, a cannabis company that, that sells pot in the US that's worth something like 1.3, 1.4 billion pounds as a business. It's huge. Um, and they're in talks with Everton of being the front shirt sponsor Premier League. Oh, Jeff, you're going to be sponsored by a convicted rapist. By no, no, be- better than that, John, a convicted rapist's drug company. <laughs> no, it's not so good. good. Um, my one side story was about Sporting Fingal. Did anyone see the story about Sporting Fingal? No. Um, they are an Irish football team that only existed for three years and within that three years managed to become a team, get promoted to the top division, win the Irish Cup, get into Europe, play away in Portugal in Europe and go bust all within 965 days. What? Yeah, so it happened in around 2007-8, um, so around credit crunch time, and it was just set up as a community project. Um, and this local businessman um, who was friends with Niall Quinn um, helped kind of fund it and set it all up. And they kind of just set it up as a community project that was around kind of getting football in the community, and they had disabled teams and they had women's teams and kids teams so they had a like it wasn't about having a big first team but someone dropped out of the second division at the last minute so within 30 days they had to find a squad and just went yeah we'll put them in and so they got put into the second division in their second season they won the FA Cup the equivalent the FAI Cup um, and that got them into Europe um, and then so they got up to the first division they came fourth in the first division And then the guy who was bankrolling the whole thing was part of the credit crunch and lost all his money and had to back out and they lost all their money. So they disappeared again and just lasted for three years. Wow. What a ride. Yeah. And the guy guy who was captain is now plays for Millwall in the championship. Um, Yeah, there's a whole article about him on the BBC. Um, Is it time for Endgame? Endgame. I'm ready. So, Jeff. You are games master after winning last week. So scores on the board are Jeff and I on eight points, uh, Roger Gibbs on 11. Over to you, Jeff. What are we going for? Well, this week, uh, I like to look at the fixtures that would have happened had the world not ended. Nice. This week, 
there would have been an Arsenal-Liverpool game. So okay. I, I, I pondered back to my favourite encounters between Arsenal and Liverpool. And the first one that comes to mind is Liverpool 4, Arsenal 4. Yeah. 2009. Now, 2009. I've already told you the score. Um, Who was the managers? Arsene Wenger and Rafa Benitez. Okay. Now, who went? Who's going first? John, you're going first. Steven Gerrard. Steven Gerrard better have played. John is not even on the bench. How could? Oh. <laughs> John. Oh my God. You can't blame me. for Steven Gerrard, the person who's played the most for Liverpool in the last forty years. John. 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 I'm going to lose with Steven Gerrard. <laughs> oh, no. Right. Not necessarily. I've got to think of it. something right. Should have gone for Cedric. Do you remember this game? Yeah. It was brilliant. I can't remember it. Who scored? Tell me who scored. Shush, shush, shush. Um, 2009. Oh, Rod, come on. Uh, Thierry Henry still kicking around then? No, Roger. <laughs> oh, Barcelona, of course what not. What the hell is going on with when you did he, two? When did he go? A lot before that. Oh, this is this God. is another. Um, uh, this is the black spot. The, um, the, the black spot, spot can't again. be five years, Roger. Well, I Bellerin. Um, Jamie Carragher. Okay, there we go. Carragher, you're in. We're in the game. Uh. Sammy Hoopier. No. No. I can't believe you two. I really genuinely thought that you'd be all over this. It's when Arshavin scored four goals, isn't it? Why didn't you say Arshavin then? Well, because I didn't have it. Stephen Gerrard's pretty obvious for Liverpool. (laughs) Yeah, but if you knew that Arshavin scored four goals, he'd be top of the list. But Gerrard would have been been playing then, to be fair. He must have been injured. Yeah, he's just been injured, Rog. He's not yeah, like Amazing goals that game. Arshavin, Arsenal team. I, oh, I the Arsenal no the Arsenal team. I the transition there. Like, is this was uh, Jungberg still there? Or uh, no, you've no. got this all wrong. You've got it this all wrong. wrong. You're you're in the wrong wrong time zone. Okay, so Liverpool Carzola? was, was um, no, you'd no. Have, you you've lost this four times already. Do you want to lose again? Anyone else? Lundberg and Carzola are 20 years <laughs> difference. <laughs> yeah, but Carzola's more recent than Jungberg. That was why... 11 years ago, right? Okay, Liverpool side. Pepe Reina, Arbaloa, Carragher, Daniel Agger, Aurelio. Yeah. Zabi Alonso, Mascherano, yeah. Yossi Benayoum, and Dirk Coit. Yeah. Um, oh, it's not a great team. Riera and Torres. Who else was with there with Torres? Sorry, was the other one? Uh, what's it? Riera? It was a Spanish guy. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Replay, um, subbed on was Marcus Babel, not Marcus Babel. Um, yeah, Babel. Ryan Babel. Ryan Babel. Ryan Babel. Um, on the bench, oh, sorry, who scored that day was Torres, got two. Ben Ayun got two. The Arsenal side, Flappy Hansky, Bakary Sanger, Torre, Sylvester, Gibbs. Arshavin, Song, Fabregas, Danielson, Nazari, Bentner. Mm. Great side. Oh, no, I well, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have got many of those. You well, know all of them, though. It is a strange oh, I know them all, but it's, it's a I just, season. Yeah, I can't. Um, but it was you, also uh, this week I listened to a um, podcast that was exclusively about the Arsenal Man United rivalry and oh, yeah. the um uh, disappeared what was the was fa was it an fa cup no it was a league game it was when it was 2004 when arsenal won the league at man united yeah so 2004 yeah exactly so i was listening and reading a lot about 2004 so Just as five soon as years you, before this yeah so as soon as you said arsenal i had 
like all those players flo- floating around in my head and i'm like oh god where did the transition <laughs> stop and start yeah. and who was there uh panic yeah crap well it's brilliant that you panicked rog because that means i won uh and so you're on 11 points i'm on nine and jeff's on eight we're coming for you rog yeah hunting you down you say that every week and then i win one again and i just yeah, no but we're getting closer slowly it was you were like five ahead of both of us well, but I was um, also like five behind. No, no one remembers that. <laughs> <laughs> um, has anyone got anything before we go? No, great to be back in the shed. No, could, are we gonna, could we be in the real shed next week? We or might be in the real shed, yeah. Possibly we could be in a real shed next week, depending on what uh, is announced on Friday, so that would be nice. If not, it's if we are, sorry, then it's been delightful having these virtual sheds with you both. Yeah. Hell yeah. But and, uh, I am. I would be very glad to see the back of them at the same time. Yes, and thanks for everyone who's carried on listening during the uh, slightly odd sound recordings and Jeff's face getting stuck halfway through um, <laughs> recordings. And it's just not very attractive when you see a, a, a shed title that says Aston Villa, Arsenal, and Bournemouth <laughs> or whatever. It's just it's not like it's not thrilling listening. So any whoever whoever sat through it. Credit to you, really. You're the, you're the, you're the real winner. But yes, thanks for listening, everybody. We will be back next week, maybe in person, which would be nice. Um, don't forget, if you want to get in contact, ask us questions, tell us we're wrong about something. Um, just or rubbish Facebook, at the end game. Or shit at the end game, yes. Um, or just shoot us an email at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. See ya. See ya. Bye.